Welcome to CLC Connects. I'm your host, Jesse Prue. This week we're talking about the weather with CLC's meteorology expert, Professor Eric Priest. And why wouldn't we be talking about the weather? It's early spring, it's been 85 degrees, it's been 35 degrees, we've had snow. There's a lot to talk about. Professor Priest studied weather at Penn State and earned his master's degree in atmospheric science from Creighton University. He served as an Air Force weather officer and worked for a major Chicago-based airline as an aviation meteorologist. Professor Priest joined the Earth Science faculty at the College of Lake County in 2007, where he teaches meteorology, severe and hazardous weather, and astronomy. Welcome to the podcast, Eric. Thanks, Jesse. Happy to be here. Happy to be. I'm happy you're here. <laughs> you have a lot of explaining to do. <laughs> of course. <laughs> um, but first, I just want to kind of establish the difference between climate and weather. So weather is basically what we have as meteorologists that we're able to actually forecast. So, um, for instance, um, uh, I, in my opinion, we can go reasonably well out to maybe a week. Beyond that, the weather models, which I know we'll get into later, the weather models just are not as accurate. Climate um, is climate refers to long-term averages of the weather. Um, so, for instance, you know, if you want to know what the weather's going to be like in a couple of days, you would look at a weather forecast. If you want to know like what the weather's going to be in Europe in three months, you would consult climate data for that. Okay. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the weather that we just had. Uh, it was snowing this weekend. A week and a half ago, it was 85 degrees. I don't know what it's going to be like next week. <laughs> what is going on? So it's just, it's it's springtime changes. Okay. I mean, uh, the, the jet stream is uh, can be very erratic in the springtime. And that's what we're uh, currently experiencing right now in this current cold pool of air. Uh, that we've got below normal temperatures. Uh, the jet stream has dipped down over the United States. When we were in the 80s, it was up over Canada. Um, and so uh, it's the changing jet stream that causes the changing weather, basically. So, and it tends to happen in these like transition periods, like between spring and fall, or, the or big, is it just the spring? Big, yes, the biggest uh, changes that you get are in spring and fall. You know, we were in the 80s last weekend, and then there was snow actually on my deck <laughs> the, the day later. Yeah. Um, and so spring is when you, and fall, are when you get those drastic changes as we as we transition from a cold season into the hot season and then the hot season into the cold season. Okay. Yeah. I hear a lot of people say like, oh, that's climate change for you. Is that like what this is, or is this just, this is normal, or? Well, I mean, I mean uh, well, I, you know, you wouldn't, be able to necessarily say it's climate change until we see year after year after year of the same thing happening. I mean, it's not unusual to get drastic changes of the weather um, in spring and okay. fall as well. Yeah. Okay. Another thing that happened last week, we had a tornado watch, and I noticed that the the sky turned a little a little yellow. Um, are we in tornado season now? We are tornado season for. This area is April, May, and June. May and June being the predominant months. Yes, uh, we're certainly uh, getting into that season, especially with the weather changing like this. When you have strong changes in, in, the, in the jet stream, you tend to have severe weather outbreaks as well. Okay. Yeah. I've heard that the United States gets most of the tornadoes in the world. That is true. 75% of the world's tornadoes occur in the United States. That is because of our unique geography. Uh, we have a, a warm body of water to our south, the Gulf of Mexico, uh, provides warm, moist air at low levels. We've got a, a desert basically to our southwest, southwestern United States, Mexico, that brings in hot, dry air at mid-levels. And 
combine that all with cold air masses that can come out of Canada, they all tend to mix together right in the central part of the United States. So I want to keep talking about tornadoes before, and I'm going to tell you everything that I know about tornadoes. Okay. okay. <laughs> um, I'm not too worried about them because Lake Michigan will protect us, right? That is not true. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's a myth. Oh, um, shoot. <laughs> for the most part, Lake Michigan does help okay. uh, uh, prevent, it helps weaken thunderstorms approaching um, the area. Uh, because what happens is, uh, as thunderstorms approach, there's inflow of air coming off Lake Michigan, which is cold in the in the springtime. In fact, temperatures are right around 40 degrees right now for Lake Michigan. So imagine storms are approaching; it's pulling in this cold air, and that tends to weaken storms. Um, that said, um, it's not an absolute guarantee that we won't get them. We've had tornadoes go all the way to the lakefront, and for instance, if you have fast-moving severe weather cells. They tend to uh, overpower whatever the lake can do. Okay. Uh, we've had tornadoes move all the way to the lakefront before. So it's kind of a myth. I mean, I think to an extent it does protect us, but not absolutely. Yeah. Um, I've lived in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, which has, you know, it's on an isthmus, and they have got two lakes. And I've always heard that, like, because of those two lakes that tornadoes can't hit. I've also lived in the city of Chicago, and I've heard that, like, you can't, there won't be a tornado in the city of Chicago because there's too many buildings to protect us. Yeah, th that's another myth. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, the buildings aren't large enough to dissipate a severe storm. Not even it's, the Sears Tower? It's too small. <laughs> well, it, of course, it's high, right? But yeah. I'm talking about aerial extent, horizontal extent of the buildings. They're not enough to break up the inflow. There have been tornadoes in multiple downtown cities, Chicago being mm -hmm. one of them. Chicago's had tornadoes right downtown before. Wow. Yeah. Um, what about the idea that, like, you know, your house can be, well, not my house, my neighbor's house might be destroyed by a tornado, but, like, it, it can skip over my house. Well, that certainly happens, but it's not because tornadoes skip. Okay. Um, you have this erratic damage in, in especially, uh, especially strong tornadoes, associated with something called suction vortices, these tiny swirls in, uh, that are embedded in the main tornado. Um, and these swirls may be the size of the house. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're in the wrong spot of one of those swirls, you can get much stronger winds than in the parent tornado itself, which is why if a swirl goes over your house, it may level it and the neighbor's house not have much damage at all. Yeah. But they don't skip, no. No, okay. Have you ever seen a tornado? I've seen a funnel cloud one yeah. time from a distance, but I've never seen one on the ground. No. no. I think that I've been in one one time, and I was driving down the interstate, and it got wild outside. <laughs> and so I pulled under an uh, overpass to help, kind of help protect me. Is that good advice? or That's not great advice, but I can tell you where that came from, okay. I think. There was a video um, that was floating around... Um, even really before the internet, there was a video floating around of where someone had uh, had a camera and they were videoing a family that had, that had come and, and gone under an underpass, uh, an overpass, and the tornado literally went right overhead and they were fine. The problem with that particular instance was that it was a weak tornado uh -huh. and uh, the winds weren't that strong in it. People saw the video and they thought, well, there's where I should go if, if there are uh, uh, tornado outbreaks. If a tornado is coming, I just go under an un underpass, hold on to the girders. Unfortunately, some people did that in a much stronger tornado, an EF5 tornado, 
back in the late 90s, and they were killed oh, no. from that. Yeah. yeah. Um, what about the advice if um, uh, to open your windows in your house? That's another myth. Okay. <laughs> it seems like all you've heard is myths. I think that's true. <laughs> I think that's true for a lot of us. <laughs> all right, well, let's set it straight, Jesse. Um, opening the windows does not help. Okay. Uh, it does not relieve the pressure. I think that's what people think. Your house yeah. is sealed, and the tornado's got low pressure. Your house is under high pressure, and it'll explode. Your house is not sealed, so it's equalized pressure from inside to outside. So that doesn't help at all. Okay, so what's some good advice if I'm if I'm at home and there's well, a tornado? If you're at home and you have a basement, go into the basement. Um, go under like a stairwell in the okay. basement is ideal. You want to protect your head. Okay. Uh, and I would still even in the basement. I would still like if you've got like cushions or something. My bike helmets in the things basement. Things may that's a great idea. <laughs> things may come down on you. Yeah. In that case, if you don't have a basement, they always say talk about an interior room like a bathtub, yeah. but always have something to protect yourself, a particular head. If you can get like a twin size mattress and bring it in, that's even better, you know, because it's the things that are flying around that kill people. Yeah. Generally. How can we be prepared? I, I see watches and I see warnings. Well, let's know. talk yeah. about the difference between those because I think there's a lot of misunderstandings. A watch is over a large area put out by the Storm Prediction Center in Norman, Oklahoma. Um, the meteorologists down there would examine the weather for that day, and they would look and see where are the severe possibilities. And, they, and once it looked like things were starting to materialize over an area, they would put out a watch. Okay. Um, but a watch just means that um, there will be some, we expect some severe weather somewhere inside this this watch area, but the watch area might take up several states mm -hmm. uh, or parts of several states. So they're large areas. They're valid for like four to six hours out. A watch would just mean, hey, uh, we might get severe weather later on in this area. I've got to get an idea in my head. What am I going to do if I'm, I encounter that? When a warning is put out, it's put out by the local National Weather Service office. In our case, the National Weather Service office out of Chicago and Romeoville puts out the weather warnings. Uh, weather warnings, tornado warnings, severe thunderstorm warnings are put out for smaller areas like parts of counties, cities, with more specific information. Like you might see a warnings come out like a tornado, we expect a tornado warning for Southern Lake County. Uh, we expect a tornado over Wakanda at a certain time, like 1 o'clock, and then we expect it to make it by the, to the lakefront by 1.30, something like that. Um, and, and specific information, if there's a, a warning put out, a warning means that a tornado has either been sighted, mm -hmm. tornado warning, tornado warnings, a tornado has been sighted by radar or also by the public. Okay. Okay, so we know there's one out there. That's when you want to take action to protect yourself. Uh, and, uh, you know, um, whatever, if you're in a car, they say, you know, the best thing to do is don't try to outrun it. Try to maybe go at right angles to its movement. Um, if you can't, it doesn't look like you're going to escape. The idea is to get out, get away from the car, um, and go lie down in a ditch next to the road, again, covering your head, as scary as that would be. That's terrifying. Right. <laughs> but you wouldn't want to stay in your car because the car will not protect you. It'll become a projectile. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't seem like there's a lot of a lot of ways to win that. So <laughs> right. if I see a tornado warning, I'm just, I think I'm going to go find that bike helmet in the basement and there you stay go. there. That's the plan. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about uh, prediction and weather prediction. I think that we've all heard like a uh, meteorologist is the best job. You can be wrong half the time and, and still keep your job, um, which I'm sure you love to hear. I love that so much. Yeah. 
Can I tell you something funny? Yeah, please. <laughs> uh, the first telephone number at the uh, old weather office I used to work for for the airline, mm-hmm. our telephone number for the weather office was 50-50. Oh, that's funny. Just <laughs> <laughs> saying. So everybody knew what to call. That's yeah. really good. Maybe you can tell us, like, why forecasts aren't aren't always perfect and, and you know, kind of some best practices for understanding your forecast. And So why weather weather forecasts aren't perfect. To get a perfect forecast, you would want to know the weather at all points horizontally and all points vertically in the atmosphere at all times. We have no way of doing that. So we we rely on a database that is basically built on upper air observations, weather balloons, that are sent up twice a day, different points around the country. So um, you can already see a problem here in the sense that we don't have weather balloons at every single point. We have Mm -hmm. one in Green Bay, we have one in the Quad Cities, and we have one in Lincoln, Illinois. We don't have one in Chicago. So what do you do about the weather here? You have to what's called interpolate between those sites to figure out, um, make guesses, basically. When you make guesses, you make errors. Mm -hmm. And the, the computer models that all meteorologists um, rely on are based on solving complex differential equations, math equations for different variables like moisture, like temperature, pressure, and wind um, in five-minute time steps over a long period of time. The North American model, for instance, goes out 84 hours. Um, the uh, GFS model, global forecast uh, model, goes out 384 hours. These, this data is uh, plugged into these, I'm sorry, these upper air um, weather observations are plugged in to, these, to, a, uh, uh, to a computer model, and all these differential equations are solved in five-minute time steps. It's a tremendous amount of data, with including all the interpolation that you do um, and estimations of, of, of data points in between. There's a tremendous amount of data. Um, <laughs> in fact, um, 336 million pieces of data in each five-minute time step of the North American model. Even if we had the ability to have to know the weather at all points, horizontally and vertically, we don't have the computing power to even, even solve that. Yeah. Uh, just on what we do right now, um, it takes about three to four hours for a computer model to finish. Um, for instance, uh, the model this morning that the balloons were launched at 7 o'clock, our time, um, that model won't finish until probably the North American model about 10 o'clock. The global model may not finish till almost noontime. Okay. Um, so, um, but to answer your initial question, why aren't weather forecasts perfect? Because of these guesses that yeah. have to be made um, the best database that you get is the initialization, the first data that goes in from the raw observations. Each five-minute time step is based on the previous time step. So these errors accumulate over time, which is why a short-term forecast is always better than a long-term forecast. Um, the reason I don't like forecasting out beyond a week is because at, at some point, the errors get too great that it'll basically just be a garbage model. Mm-hmm nothing even resembling rea- reality. Um, but that said, um, I can tell you that weather forecasting, the models have gotten much better since I've been in meteorology. I, I uh, started as a professional meteorologist in 1982. At that time, 
uh, a two-day forecast was about all we could do. Uh, no one would even ask to go beyond three days um, because I think we have the accuracy right now that we have it five days. 40 years ago, it was probably 48 hours. So um, the demands of the public were nowhere near what they are now yeah. from, from a meteorologist. Uh, for instance, when I first got into, uh, well, I was an aviation meteorologist in the Air Force, and we only put forecasts out for the next day. But the, the uh, base asked me to do a forecast out three days. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a very general type thing. For the third day, uh, you know, cloudy, sunny, rain, snow. No one would talk about, well, I think on three days from now, the snow is going to start at 3 p.m. or something like that. Now we've got the models are, are so much better in that shorter period of time that, you know, the, the public expects, well, I, I want to know what time the snow is going to start, mm-hmm. what time is it going to end, yeah. you know, how fast is it going to cum- accumulate, uh, that kind of thing. Uh, and so as the models have gotten better, the public's demand for more precise information has also grown. Yeah, I know when I've opened, like, my AccuWeather app, like, I can look at a forecast a month out, but one of the things I, I feel like is um, – Valuable to me is if it's going to rain, it'll say, it's going to rain in eight minutes. And I'm like, okay, I got eight minutes to get my groceries in. Yeah, that, that's <laughs> there's, there's, there's kind of a misnomer with that, yeah. too. And, yeah. and because those weather apps that predict exactly when the rain's going to start locally, they're ba- all it does is take what's ever out there right now, mm-hmm. whatever radar returns they have, and just basically move them into the area. It doesn't allow for any development okay. uh, or weakening. Of, of, of uh, thunderstorms or precipitation. That's good to know because it's yeah. often wrong. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it would because literally all yeah. it can do is just basically extrapolate whatever's west of us and move it in yeah. Yeah, for the most part. Is it fair to say that the role of a meteorologist then is to look at all this data and kind of give us uh, just a, an interpretation of it? Well, pretty say? much, but, but, but it's also uh, there's, there's multiple models we look at and part of the job of a meteorologist based on experience or how a model's been doing is we've got to pick which one we think is going to be correct. And they often disagree. Yeah. This winter, uh, especially that, that storm system around Christmas time, the models were all over the place. Yeah. Um, and um, until really, until maybe 24 hours out, did it finally start to look like what was going to happen around here. So, um, you know, part of our... Um, Part of our responsibility is to pick up, is to choose the right model, yeah, and and uh, you know, and make a forecast based on that data. One resource I, I think that we have in Lake County is, I think he's a TV meteorologist, uh, Mike Kaplan. I've seen his Facebook page, and he always talks about the weather, and he talks about all the different models, and yeah, and he'll say like the European model and this model, right, and that model. Right. Do you have a favorite model? Depends on the time of yeah. year. Uh, in the summer, I like using uh, the uh, HRRR model, which is a short-term hour-by-hour, um, and the NAM model, I, I, North American model. Um, you know, in the wintertime, European does really well for mm-hmm. us. Um, but, uh, you know, th- it, it basically just varies on, on the system. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I can't think of one over this winter that I would have hung my hat on for the whole season, honestly. <laughs> yeah, it's been quite a challenge. Yeah, not to keep bringing it back to climate change, but does it get harder as we're starting to experience climate change or experience it more? Well, I think, you know, we're starting to see more extremes. Yeah. You know, um, and so that is, uh, that's making it a little more challenging. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. 
Yeah, that's interesting. Anytime you have extremes, uh, you know, you generally don't. Uh, I used to work with someone who says, don't ever forecast a record because they, they're rare. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, and it is, as we get more extremes, there's more records that are broken. Yeah, I feel like every year we hear about more and more records. So, right. you know, wind speed records and hurricane power <laughs> or hurricane strength records and even high temperature records. Sure. Like it seems like every summer we get like the new highest temperature in Chicago or anything like that. So what are some tips for understanding my local forecast better? And what can I really, you know, what Well, can I, I think more, we've touched on one. Um, the, the, the app that says uh, when rain is going to start in eight minutes, you know, take that a little bit with a grain of salt. Yeah. Uh, now, if it's, I, I would trust that more during the cold season. Okay. When you have a big area of precipitation that's moving in, it's pretty well set in stone kind of what, how, it's, how it's developing, that works out pretty well. Summertime thunderstorms, you could have one pop up here, die out fairly quickly, another one pop up here. So it's, it, it's very difficult to trust that kind of information. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this episode airs tomorrow. Can I ask you to um, predict the weather for the week? Yeah. It's okay. uh, c- cool weather continuing. Um, really, it looks like we're going to be in the 40s. Uh, and then toward the end of the week, it looks like we'll get up in the 50s. But um I, lo- I did take a look long term, and you know I don't like going ahead, going out more than a week. But I said, "What the heck? Here, let's take a, take a stab at it." <laughs> it looks like toward the end of next week we start to come out of this cooler than normal pattern. I'm but so it looks like it's going to be th- with us through this week. Or okay. So. But we'll get into 50s later on. At least that'll be better than 40, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can deal with that. Yeah. <laughs> sounds like spring might be hitting right on time for May then, maybe. <laughs> right. We'll see. <laughs> well, thank you for coming on. I really appreciate it. Um, this has been a really fun conversation. Oh, happy to do it. Have a good day. Okay, take care. Thanks for listening. If you love listening to CLC Connects, we would love it if you could leave us a review. It really helps us spread the word about our great podcast. You can also subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you love listening. Please join us again in two weeks when I talk about the urban farming movement with Eliza Fournier. CLC Connects is a production of the PR Marketing Department with musical help by Dave Asmock.